0: Well, welcome to Citizens. Um, My name is Dave Ainsworth. I'm one of the pastors, and today is the first day of our annual walk through the story of God. Uh, Every January, our church takes time to tell the Christian story from beginning to end and to dialogue together about it. So that's why the service is set up a little different, the space is set up different. Thankful for Emily for uh, creating this round for us, and then uh, our we only sing a few songs, sort of to make a lot of room to be able to hear the story and to talk about it together. Uh, we're seven years in and it's become a tradition as Citizens to do this. And traditions are really important for faith communities. Uh, there are so many shifts and changes that we have to make as a church and as individuals. Um, Our church is facing a big change right now with CJ's departure, and that makes our commitment to this rhythm all the more important and all the more significant. Um, Rhythms like this are anchors to faith and family. They sustain us through change. Um, They're important for new people to experience who've joined us in the last year so that they can sort of be grafted into a history, a a community with a history, and and become um, more meaningfully a part. We also walk through the story of God every year because one of our distinctives as a church is that we are story-formed. Stories shape us. Uh, If you've ever read, listened to, or watched a brilliant story, then you know that narrative has a way of affecting you deeply. If you can think of a book you've read or a movie you've seen that's grabbed your mind and, and heart so much that you were never the same again. It, it sort of became part of who you were. And when we experience a story like this, it makes us want to share it with others. We want to talk about it. We want to retell the story. We want to analyze the details. In the past month, I've had conversations with people about Dune and The Matrix and West Side Story and Ron's Gone Wrong, like all these like cool stories. And you kind of want to like talk about what um, the meaning of these stories are. Uh, For Christians, the Bible is the greatest story. It's the most significant story, but often we fail to read it as a story. We tend to pick it apart and sort of systematize it. So we pull out some Bible verses and create some doctrines and beliefs, and that's uh, a strategy that has its proper place. But it's important um, to remember that the Bible is first and foremost, before it is a catalog of doctrines, um, It is first and foremost a narrative uh, with a beginning, a middle, and an end, with tension, with climax, with characters and settings, and that's what we want to remember this month. Uh, Christians find our identity in this ancient yet ever-relevant six-act story of creation, rebellion, promise, redemption, kingdom, and restoration. Uh, This story tells us who we are, how to live, and where hope is found. Um, like I said, the story comes from the Bible. And so some of us here believe the Bible is completely true, all of it. Um, others believe only part of it is true or that it's true as a metaphor, but not really um, true in uh, reality. And that's okay. Like we want to honor and um, appreciate and grow from the diversity of uh, thought that's in the room. And so we're grateful uh, for all opinions, um, all perspectives. Feel free to challenge the story. So all the way this will go, is I'll sort of just read the story um, and then ask questions and just invite you to respond to it. And so you can say, I don't like that character. Um, I don't like what God did there. I wish, why didn't he do this? Uh, this felt like a better decision if I were God. Um, those kinds of questions are help us engage the story more uh, deeply. As you can imagine, I am a pastor, and so I believe this story is entirely true and good, even the hard parts. Um, but you're not gonna hurt my feelings if you think that it's untrue or if you think it's ugly and wicked and terrible. Um, I'm not gonna try and change your mind in this space. Um, that's not what my job is. And so we're freed from that burden and can give each other permission to wrestle together. Um, and for those who don't believe the story, I've always been, um, it's, it's always been encouraging to them uh, they're pleasantly surprised that those who do believe in the truth of the Bible are often still bothered by the same parts of the story. Like they're, st- they're hard for all of us um, because they're just objectively hard. Um, in terms of rules, there is just one for the story of God. As we dialogue, we're only allowed uh, to discuss content that has already emerged from the narrative um, because we wanna experience it as a story with tension. And so if you know something from a later narrative, don't jump ahead. So for example, we won't talk about Jesus because he doesn't come up until like week three. And so uh, even though these stories might remind you of something from Jesus, we want to just talk about what has been revealed thus far. And so I'll try to like give reminders and, and um, if, you, if you end up uh, breaking the rule, that's okay. There's grace. Um, let's let the story unfold in order like you would if you were watching a movie with someone. Um, this will help preserve the quality of our time. It keeps the playing field level for everyone so that no matter how experienced you are, um, there's not any sort of like biblical jujitsu you know, happening. Uh, it, we're all sort of engaging the movie at the same place. Um, and we can experience the story as a narrative. And so with that, let's begin. Um, I'm gonna begin with a question. Um, and I'm gonna ask the youth to answer first. If you could imagine a perfect world, the world the way it should be, what would it be like? How would you make a perfect world? There's only five of you. (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, this is, yeah. so this is a space where you can uh, shout it out. Do we have an answer? <laughs> what would it be like, what are some things that would be present in the world, what are some things that wouldn't be in the world if it was perfect? No war, no, no bullies, no meanness, no conflict. Yeah. No pollution. no pollution, right? The creation would not be struggling. It's absolutely true. Human-caused pollution. What else would be true? We'll open it up to the adults too. A perfect world. Everyone would have enough. Everyone would have enough. There would be no scarcity. Uh, a, lot more play, less work. a lot more play and less work. And maybe work would feel like play. Everyone would have dignity. No one would feel shame, condemnation. No one would feel less than another. Think, like, harmony between, like, yeah. Perfect harmony between animals and people. You wouldn't have to worry if... You wouldn't have to worry if if the food is safe, like... Is oh, yeah. Is in oh, yeah. No <laughs> No allergies. That's right. Whole foods everywhere.
1: <laughs>
0: no death. People would live forever. No sickness. No mental illness. Yeah, so yeah, people wouldn't be trying to prove themselves um, and all the stress and anxiety and conflict that comes from that, the scarcity of worth, you know, not just scarcity of stuff, but scarcity of worth that I have to, for me to be worth something means you have to be worth less. Yeah. Well, according to the story, there was a day when the world was very much like what you imagined, and a day when it will be so again. It was a world where there was no sickness or pain or death, no pollution, poverty, war or hatred. The story suggests it is possible that the world that all humans want, what we all dream of, is exactly the world that God originally created and intended for us. And it asks us to consider that maybe this same God actually has a plan and a way to set everything right again. Let's start at the beginning of the story. Act 1, creation. Scene 1, beginnings. This story is found in the Bible and is about God, a being that was before all things and created this earth and everything on it. God alone always does what is good and right and perfect, and the Bible calls him holy. Do you know what God created first? When God created the world, the angels were already there watching. Angels were created before everything else that they might watch God create. When the angels saw God's power and his ability to make many different things, they sang together and shouted for joy, giving glory to God. But there was one angel who did not praise God. This angel was named Lucifer, which means bright morning star. When Lucifer saw the other angels singing songs to God and shouting great things about God, he became jealous. He wanted them to do that for him instead of God. He said in his heart, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars and I will be like God. Then Lucifer went and convinced a third of the angels to follow him. He led these fallen angels, now called demons, in a rebellion against God. All rebellion against God and his ways is called sin. But God knew what Lucifer was thinking and doing because he knows everything. And because of God's perfect goodness, evil is never allowed to remain in his presence. So God cast Lucifer and the rebellious angels into darkness on the earth to face final punishment later. Lucifer's name was also changed. Instead of being known as the bright morning star, he was now called Satan, which means adversary. Scene two, first humans. After creating angels, God created another being, one that was different than the angels called humans. So God took the earth and prepared it as a place for humans to live. As his spirit moved over the chaotic surface of the earth, he spoke the world into existence. With his word, he made light, separating it from the darkness. He divided the oceans and the sky. He gathered the waters, revealing the dry land, growing plants, flowers, and trees, all with seeds to reproduce themselves." He created the sun, the moon, and the stars, setting the seasons in motion. He filled the seas with fish, and the sky with birds, and the earth with all kinds of wild animals. God put great care and creativity into all of his creation, and then he looked at everything and said, this is good. After he had prepared the earth, God said, let us make humans in our image to be like us. They will be in charge of the earth and the plants and the animals that live on it. So God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed breath into him, giving him life. This man would be called Adam, which means humanity. Later, God created the first woman from one of Adam's ribs to be a companion and helper for him. When Adam saw her, he said, she is part of me. Her name was Eve, which means life. God joined them in marriage, a close relationship of husband and wife where they devoted themselves to each other. Although Adam and Eve were naked, they felt no shame. So God created both the man and the woman in his own image. God gave them authority over other creatures, even bringing all the animals to Adam so he could name them. God blessed the man and the woman with the ability to continue creating through having children and through cultivating a garden. He told them to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over everything on the earth." He placed the first human in a beautiful garden, a place where they had everything they needed to live the best life possible, one with freedom, rest, and joy, and where they could walk with God. In the center of the garden, God placed two special trees. One was the tree of life, and the other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said that Adam and Eve could eat from any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He warned them not to eat from this tree or they would surely die. Daily, God would come and spend time with the humans, walking with them in the cool of the day. He showed them how to live in the best possible way, a life lived close to God and under his protection, a life that is full and complete. Adam and Eve loved being with God. Now, as God looked over all of his creation, he thought, this is very good. After creating all of this, God rested, and he set aside one day of rest every week for his creation called the Sabbath day. All right, let's discuss these first two scenes. Um, Youth first again. What are the characters in the story? Every story has characters in a setting, so who have we met so far? We met Satan, Adam, Mm -hmm. Eve, angels, Angels, God, God. yeah, yeah, and then I think you probably could say a creation's a little bit of a character in the story, Um, the animals and and such like that. Okay, so that's a great list. Um, What strikes you... This is for everybody. Um, about each of these characters, what's their relationship to one another, um, and how are these characters similar to the main characters in your own life story? So I think it's interesting that
1: Satan is under God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of other stories like ancient and modern have a more, they are more sort of a duality of good and evil. Um, And so right from the beginning, the story is saying that's actually not true here. It's an unequal part power. That's great. Yeah, that uh, in this perfect world, there is um, authority and submission and relationship and differences of power and things like that. There's not anything wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah, because I I think that even in that that God could still say to the world, "This is very good," where I immediately think that there's something wrong with the world. Like that's something new that I'm realizing that oh, the world is starting off imperfect, but but apparently it's not. Um, so what is a perfect world? How to. How is it? You know, we talk about this story, reminding us of our own stories. Uh, do you think of these characters often in your own story? You know, if this is the true story of the world, what what are you reminded of about your own life from this? a perfect world would have coffee readily available. And Mike and Emily just contributed to this being a more perfect world. Thank you for doing that. Feel free to get up at a respectful amount and go get yourself some coffee. <laughs> um, for real, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I'm always like instructed that angels... Um, are a part of the world. I was like challenged when I had kids, especially small kids, and praying for them and praying for guardian angels. Like, would you protect my house? Um, Keep me safe. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's a good transition question because in the story, humans are set apart from the rest of creation because they are created in the image of God. And a lot of people talk about that—that that is free will, but, but the angels are not in the image of God, yet they have uh, freedom as well. So what, what do you, how would you describe the image of God? What's the significance of that? And kind of just from the story, like, what do you think that means? Well, I think from the story so far, there's the dominion piece where
2: they're mm. ruling over the earth and then the creativity piece where they're called to not only continue the human race, but like you said, cultivate the garden and cause new things
1: to grow.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, that is, that's what the story says. Yeah, it's the dominion that they have dominion. Angels don't have dominion. Um Creatures don't have dominion, and then they are called to continue creation, um, which is so wild that God didn't just do it all himself. He he sort of half-created the world um, and then expected humans to continue the gardening project. So humanity's identity and worth is tied to God. Um, How do you feel about that? Uh, does that make humanity more free or less free that they, their identity and dignity is tied to God?
2: Both both more and less free because they're um less less free obviously in the sense that you can't get away from God. Yeah.
0: Yeah, how else are humanity both more free and less free?
3: Mm-hmm. that same kind of freedom in the sense of, like, creating and more and more expansive, but all kind of within the framework of our design uh, being more and more, like, that makes sense? Yeah. I don't know if it totally makes sense to me either, but, yeah, I just think there's guardrails to freedom, but that doesn't mean it's not
0: freedom. Yeah. Well, I think that contrasts the thing about, like, is Satan more free because he sort of cut off, like is he a free character? You know, and that really is like, what is freedom? Um, Are the animals free? You know, like, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to like really do like a deep dive into the idea of freedom because it's such a buzzword, you know, it's such an important concept to the West. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Yeah.
4: Which is a hard part of the story. Yeah. The story in our (laughs) when we were talking about a perfect world none of us said like and also there's Satan. Mm -hmm. But God but God allows that to to happen and Mm that God allows Satan to continue to exist but but at the same time it's like but only you know, even Satan's freedom is like a it's still on God's terms, it's still part of God's system if they're talking
0: about Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah, this, the last question here, how do you feel sort of related to that? How do you feel about the two trees placed in the garden? Is that part of your perfect, is that part of the perfect world, the two trees?
2: actually maybe different than- we want and wanting people to feel like this one is money
0: So, I don't know, I feel like the, the tree makes sense in, in light of all that. It, like, it actually feels fitting that there would be consequence for something. Well, and that goes to the desire for dignity, you know, is that to, to have no consequences, to sort of be the spoiled child who can do whatever you want and like you still get everything you want. is actually like a less dignified way of living, you know? And so to be created in the image of God, to be given power also comes with responsibility, like authority and responsibility always like match and go together. Um, That's a great, I've never thought about it that way where the, the tree dignifies image of God. And so, if there were no tree, then how different would we be than the animals who could do whatever they wanted, you know? Hmm. not it feel like a setup, though? Yeah. It does. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, speaking of setup and tension, uh, let's move forward. Um, Act two, rebellion or fall. Uh, This story is also from the Bible. One day, Satan, disguised as a serpent, the most clever of all the wild beasts in the garden, came to the woman and he asked Eve, did God really say you must not eat any of the fruit in the garden? Eve told him, no, we can eat from any tree in the garden. It's only the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that we are not allowed to eat from or even touch, or we will die. The serpent said to her, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened when you eat of it. You will become just like God, knowing everything both good and evil. When Eve saw how good and delicious the fruit looked and that it would make her wise, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to Adam, her husband who was with her, and he ate it. They chose not to believe God and to believe the serpent. Instantly, their eyes were opened, and they realized they were naked. They became filled with shame and fear. They strung fig leaves together around their hips to cover their nakedness. Toward evening, they heard God walking about in the garden, so they hid themselves among the trees, and God called to them, where are you? Adam answered, I heard you coming and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God answered, why are you ashamed of being naked? Did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? Adam blamed Eve. It was the woman that you gave me, she gave me some. Then God said to Eve, how could you do this? Eve blamed the serpent saying, the serpent tricked me into eating the fruit. So God said to the snake, because you have done this, You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. You will be the enemy of the woman and her seed. You will bite his heel, but he will crush your head. God's heart was broken because of their disobedience, but he could not ignore what they had done. God always does what is good, right, and perfect. His perfect justice required that there be consequences for rebellion. So God punished Adam and Eve by putting them out of the garden, outside of his direct care and protection. No longer following God's ways, having divorced themselves from the author and sustainer of life, they were now subject to sickness, pain, and death. Not only were Adam and Eve punished as a result of their disobedience, but all of the creation fell under a curse. The whole world became broken. Nothing remained as it was supposed to be, except God, He was still good, right, and perfect, and nothing could ever change that. God continued to love Adam and Eve. He even made clothing for them out of animal skins, an animal that he killed, so they would not be ashamed of the garden. He still allowed them to have dominion over the earth, though now their work would be difficult. God still took care of his creation as well, never letting it become as bad as it could be. So, in this story, Eve decided to eat the fruit because she saw it was beautiful, good to eat and powerful to make one wise. Do you think that was true about the fruit? And if so, um, why was it still wrong? and what does that teach us about sin? Yeah so they yeah they were tricked in the decision but do you think the fruit was like beautiful and and good and powerful to make one wise? I think it was. You think it was?
2: And do like why not? And the last question like Yeah. Yeah, and it feels important to note that in I think in culture all the time we're having these conversations about like, well, is it beneficial, is it helpful, is it like healthy or natural? Poisonous in like all manner of like cultural conversations, um, and it feels important here to note that like when she ate the fruit, she didn't die of food poisoning. If that wasn't you know it didn't kill her, um, and it did make her wise. Like was saying, she knew things that she didn't know before, and yet it was sin because God told her not to, which is such a different metric than so many of the metrics that we use to evaluate various things in culture, like any of the hot topic, like political conversations, get filtered through these lenses of like, is it beautiful, is it nourishing, is it, like, does it produce wisdom? And yet here, those weren't the metrics that determined whether or not it was sin. like, did God say not to do it or not? Yeah. But God did say you
0: Yeah, yeah, just the question is like, was it a magical fruit, you know? It's like, oh, it wasn't that it was a magical fruit, Um, like a snow white, that's what sort of I picture, you know? Um, It's the apple and snow white. Um, But it was, the the poison was estrangement from God, was disobedience, Um, you know? um, And I'm curious if Eve... it seems like that's actually the introduction of the like idea of poison was Satan's introduction to where like he sort of was like oh it's actually not poisonous like he sort of just he kind of removed God from it relationally a little bit you know it's like it has this magical power to it so if I
4: somewhere for eternity, and then this thing you haven't experienced, just like out of curiosity, one day, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you've done everything else, and you're like, well, this is still here. Yeah. <laughs> so it just, it just feels
0: hard to, like, uh, to see, see it happening any other way. Um, yeah. If, that's great. Uh, if Eve was already created in God's image, what is tempting about being like God? What's the add? Being in control. Being in control. Right, it's a looser story part too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And having greater yeah. knowledge that you didn't possess anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it introduces the question. In a society that like idolizes knowledge no matter what. Um, Is there knowledge that we shouldn't have? Is it okay that there's forbidden knowledge? And we're sort of raised to think that that's like actually not true, that all knowledge is good. And in this case, it's knowledge too big for her. What else does it mean to be like God? Yeah, so that she might be omniscient in some way to know all things. And that, yeah, what would you do with that infinite knowledge? Yeah, you wonder, if what what did Eve not know? When you don't know things, it implies like a need for trust. Like I've gotta trust the person who does know. Um, it's like, oh man, maybe, maybe I won't have to trust anymore and I could just be myself. What do you think is the serpent's motive? So we, what's his backstory have to do with this? He wants control. He wants control. Gathering followers. Yeah, continue it, like he's been, like he's done from the beginning, gathering followers.
5: Mm-hmm. It was to, to
0: God,
5: and
4: to yeah.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, as as, like, <laughs> yeah. He's trying to ruin, yeah, what God did, I, and I always, I mean, did he resent humanity, image of God, where there was some resentment? That's actually what I, I wanted to, to be, in that position or even higher. How did Eve's decision change her relationship with God, uh, with Adam, and with creation? What happened once she ate of the fruit? I think she lost a blissful mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's just on my work and my family or whatever it is that is very desirable and she lost that mm-hmm. she now has to she has to be focused on herself her body her her nakedness and,
0: and she wants to go back to that voice I'm sure she did yeah, the, the story is told so quickly in scripture that to like sit and just imagine those hours between eating, realizing you're naked, hiding, and like the hours of hiding, what that was like. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I've never thought of that before. One of the worst moments ever if they didn't know anything about God's grace, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's such a, like, death in that way is such a different thing that it almost would have been, it's like, it's simple and would have been fine if she just, like, keeled over and collapsed dead, you know, but instead, this is way worse, um, this experience that she's going through. How did God respond to Adam and Eve's decision? So, this is how Eve responded. How did God respond? What's the first thing he did? He came and found them. Yeah, thinking about God as omniscient. Like, why do you think God went looking for them? Like, he knew where they were. Why did he wait? Like, what was God doing in that moment or in those hours? I
4: mean, in some way, it's like preserving part of the relationship. That had, right? Like, he could have struck down thunder. Or- yeah in the garden of Eden, and he comes to them and he says like you know it's almost like um, talking about kids it's like totally what, what people do with kids where they're like did you take the cookie? You know? <laughs> <laughs> like I know the cookie's not there anymore Yeah. I understand what's happening Yeah. you sort of, oh, you understand what's happening Yeah. Do you know what this is and I'm going to give you a chance to come clean and for us to talk through this mm. um, so you know
6: Mm-hmm. You know, what a great example of someone ultimately falling and God still pursuing. Right. Same way he always did. Nothing changed. Mm-hmm. Nothing changed on God's end. He still pursued them. Mm-hmm. He still sought them out. What a great example. Yeah. Right.
0: yeah it's amazing what what did God do at that time? you know what was his experience in that he yeah came graciously with a question um, even though he knew the answer but is still coming with a question then what did they do at that time is shown and how they respond to the question right like how do they respond blame shifting yeah anything and and so which is like makes the that exchange, which is so beautiful in, to, to, to be included in a story, like such a fantastic story, but that shows even like more deeply how tragic it was, like how far the separation had been, that God would come with like a gentle question um, and, like, what's the tone of his voice? Because, you know, the, the parent is like, what well, did you eat the cookie? You know, like, that's sort of like, I come with that energy a lot of times. Um, but then, or was it more of, like, uh, who, who told you? Like, did you do this? Like, what was his posture? And then they come back with the immediate blame-shifting. mm yeah i wonder have wondered since doing the story um for a couple years like what if they had responded differently like and said i'm so sorry you know like please forgive me um would that have changed the arc of the story um but instead they respond in the way they do um the consequences uh there are consequences of their actions um for their actions uh, do you think they were too severe um, do you wish that god could have overlooked their disobedience like why could he not do that um, and i feel like he could have
1: overlooked that if they like maybe reacted differently hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I could, see, I could see that because the way they respond almost illustrates the danger they are to the garden. <laughs> like you are no longer responsible, like capable of carrying out the responsibility and having access to the tree of life and living forever. Like this is a dangerous situation. <laughs> and so I need to evacuate you. Um, yeah, that's interesting.
2: Mm -hmm. a different way, too. Like, I I, I genuinely don't know what it is, but... strong enough counterbalance that, like, net mm-hmm. outcome would have been, like, substantially different, but I think that there is a piece of, like, of, like, the, the dignifying reality that, like, we do matter, and therefore our actions do matter, and therefore our actions do
0: have consequences. Like, I think that that would have been present in some way. Yeah, that needed to be present. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Just, just would have been given this system that he's
0: designed. Yeah, and just as you were sharing just a lot of times I think that Adam and Eve's story stops here, but if they're received a prom, if they're given a promise that they'll be redeemed, like Adam and Eve's story has not stopped. And so, so there was like hardship until they died, but then what was their future? You know, according to the story so far, it, there's a promise of redemption for Adam and Eve. Mm. And, they have mm. and that is like, you, you, you know, you're not going to put that cat back in the bag. Mm. They
4: can't re-change. They now know things they didn't know before. Yes. And it's, all, it's almost like, you know, the whole setup doesn't work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> because you have changed so fundamentally.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and that's even, I mean, in the story, the way it, read was that the world had changed, they had changed, that God did not change. Um, that was sort of the ending of uh, the section.
2: It's like now there are different rules because you have fundamentally different players. And so... yeah. yeah. Which is interesting. I wonder if that makes if it makes the, the consequences that come are certainly in part punitive, but they all so might just be like in part logistical necessities
0: because the players yeah. are
2: fundamentally
0: different. It's the way the universe that he set up and created and sustains. Well, uh, thanks so much for gathering with us. Um, We will move faster so that we can get to the end, like in future weeks. But these chapters of the Bible, the the origin story, they're so vital, and they go in all kinds of directions implication-wise. They have a tremendous amount of explanatory power. Uh, From these opening chapters, we gain a theology, learning who God is, and anthropology, learning what man is. Epistemology, what's knowledge, vocation, all these sorts of things we are challenged in our understanding of history, science, time, gender, marriage, the spiritual realm, demonology. There's all kinds of things that sort of spring from this opening story. Uh, we see the difference between sinless humanity and sinful humanity, uh, one naked and unashamed, one hiding in the bushes. And we're introduced to the mercy and judgment of God that operates simultaneously, um, that he is both merciful and um, just um, in the same moment. Um, I encourage you to uh, reflect on the story throughout the week. Just think about it. Talk about it. Um, let it change you. Let it um, affect you. Uh, speak Uh, Them to your neighbors and friends. Like, talk about this. Like, what did you do this weekend? Man, we sat and just discussed this story. It's a wild story. Whether you uh, believe in its truth or if you think it's more of like a mythic, it's still a wonderfully crafted um, narrative. And so I encourage you to dwell on it. Um, As we just step out, I just want to step out of the story um, briefly um, as we like move towards communion. Um, And just draw your attention to the either or on offer in Genesis 1 to 3. Um, In Genesis 1 and 2, God made everything and it was good. He made humanity and it was very good. And then in Genesis 3, Satan enters and tempts Eve. And we learn that the nature of temptation um, is this appeal of being self-made instead of God-made, that I'm going to be in control, um, that I'm going to make myself. That was the question put forward to Eve. Are you satisfied with how God made you? Um, are you okay with God being God and you be remaining image of God? Or do you want the knowledge of good and evil on your own terms? Um, Graham Cole as a theologian and he writes on the origin of Satan and he says one might say that as an angel Satan was created by God but as a fallen angel as Satan he is self-made uh, that it is inherent to who he is and what it's just an indicting statement for a culture that really esteems the stories of self-made men and women um, and so the opening chapters it, it's hard to interpret what exactly are the implications what does it mean uh, but at the end of the day this simple message is that God made everything, which means that God made you. And so will we submit to God's creation of us, uh, God's lordship over us, his fatherhood, his sovereignty, his questions, his rules, um, even if we're looking at something that is beautiful and good and powerful to make one wise. Um, So As as the Bible moves forward, we realize that all of us have sought to make ourselves, like that is something that we all strive for, um, and make ourselves independent of God, and um, so made ourselves out to be more like Satan than like Christ. Uh, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's one of the reasons this story is so powerful is because we can see ourselves in the person of Eve. We can see ourselves in the person of Adam. Like, we identify so much with her, and we recognize that we've sinned, that there's none righteous, no, not one, that the wages of sin is death. We can see the death at work in Eve, and we can like, feel it in ourselves. Um, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, we have all sought to make ourselves, which has only served to our disintegration. God has given us clothes to cover our sin, but we need something more. And in Christ, we could be remade, regenerated, redeemed, washed clean, and made unashamed again. And so this morning, and as we enter a new year, will you let God remake you, um, recreate you, uh, cultivate new creation inside of you? Will you submit to his word and son? Every week, we consent to God's making us. Uh, When we take communion, we are saying, I cannot save myself. I cannot heal myself. There is no knowledge of good and evil apart from God. I need Jesus, his body and his blood. And um, I'm gonna pray. And then Mike, can you lead in communion? Dear Father, we are thankful for these stories. Um, We're thankful that you uh, inspired them and had Moses write them down uh, for us to remember and reflect on. Uh, Father, I pray that you would speak to each of us this morning, that there would be something in them that would sort of burr in our hearts and cause us to reflect and be shaped that we would be story-formed people. As we think about the goal and purpose and beauty of creation as it was originally intended, as we think about the insidious nature of sin and temptation, the presence of both angels and demons, Satan's reality in this world tempting us, and the persistent love and grace of God, the Father who pursues us uh, when we are hiding from him. Father, I pray that we would be pursued this morning and this week. And we pray these things in Christ's name, amen.